Thanks, Bernard. Morning. Should give yourselves a shake out there, looking a bit sleepy. Grand. Someone's doing Pilates down the back, trying not to look around. Any lesson. Um, so it's good to be here this morning. Um, I just want to reaffirm that if you're with us this morning, we are delighted that you're here. No one knows the battles that you've had this morning to get here, except you. And as happy as we are, God is absolutely, abundantly delighted and happy that you're here. And I believe you're here for a reason, that God has a word that he wants to speak to you this morning. Not because I said it, but because um, the God of heaven and earth said it. Amen. So Father, I just pray that we have ears to hear, Lord God. That um, my words would make sense, Father, but they'd be coming from you, God. Um, and that your name will be glorified and that our lives would be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so uh, we're going to read um, from a psalm today. And it's kind of funny because we did psalms for a good while. And I was on the t- speaking team as well. And I was like, oh, another psalm. Like, obviously, I'm like, delighted, Lord. Please use me whatever way you want. But please don't ask me to teach on a psalm. And um, we did a psalm. Um, and then so as we're coming out of that season, and I'm like, God, what do you want me to speak on? And he goes, Psalm 30. I was like, I can't hear you. And he's like, Psalm 30. I was like, no, no, I think you need something for the New Testament. I much prefer the New Testament. Um, but God kept on drawing me back to this um, psalm. So um, Andy's actually going to come up and read it. Um, and uh, let's just listen. There's 10 verses in it, so it's not too long. So let's just listen and sit back. You can look it up on your phone, but sometimes you get so distracted by technology or what's on the screen. Just sit back and let your ears hear what the psalm is saying this morning. And then I'll go into some detail about it. Okay, Psalm chapter 30. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his praise, his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made me a mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction? In my going down into the pit, will the dust praise you? Will I, proclaim it in your, will I proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You, 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 you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. In some of the traditional churches, um, they'd say at the end with the scripture reading, someone would say, this is the word of the Lord. And I think I really like that. Like that, the verse we just heard is the word of the Lord. Amen. And God, I believe you want to speak to everybody today. So um, that psalm has um, a couple of different things. So 
It was originally written, they believe, by David, and he did it for the dedication of his new house. Imagine we wrote a song or something every time we got like a new house. I've moved five times. I'm going to have a lot of songs, and they're not going to be happy songs. They're going to be moaning songs. Oh, I'm moving again. I can't believe I have to move again. But this one is a joyful one. And um, some scholars believe that it's actually... He was writing it for the building of his house, but he was actually being prophetic and wanting to, it to be about the restoration of the temple, the building of the temple of the Lord. Um, and an interesting part is that for Jewish culture and Jewish beliefs, that particular psalm is so important that it's used in the daily prayers. So there's three daily prayers sections for the Jewish culture that they say every morning, uh, every day. And this one is would be read as part of the morning prayers. And, you know, if you just look at it on the surface, you can kind of be like, grand, like, no offense to the artistic or artistes in the congregation, but sometimes to me, a lot of the Psalms kind of roll into one. You're great, Lord, my enemies come against me, you help me, blah, 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 right? I know, some people are like, look at me, dare her, take the microphone off her. Um, I'm not particularly artistic and, you know, music and, like, I like it, but when you talk to people who are really artistic, they're like, no, it's totally different. These are so, these are, these are like David and they, oh, the musicians, you don't get it. And, okay, I don't get it. I need God to help me to get it sometimes. So when I looked into this, I have to say, God, take this kind of, like, attitude I have and open my eyes to what you, what you want to say. And I really felt that this psalm really showed us and was an illustration of the ebbs and flows of our lives as Christians. It starts off, um, I don't know, different people come to the Lord in different ways. Some people, it's this amazing moment. They have a bam moment. They get on, you know, they're in desperation, and God comes and lifts them out of literally death. Other people, it's a slow process. And they might come to be having conversations with people, and it might be at a kitchen table, they somewhere on their own the penny drops and God reaches down and connects with them but no matter how it happened when it happened if you meet people and they've just experienced God the true God of heaven not religion but experience God for the first time they always have the same thing this abounding joy this absolute overwhelming do you know God is real like yeah like no but do you know you know they're so excited and I like I love meeting people who've just come they're so excited and energized and um, they just remind me of what it was like when I first experienced the true love of God for the first time because sometimes in life without meaning to we lose a bit of that excitement and this psalm starts out like this you can imagine David and it's like I will exalt you Lord, you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried out to you for help, and you restored my health. If you talk to someone who's been on death's door and has even made peace with it, but God reaches down and heals them, they have a song to sing. They have a dance to dance. They have a word to bring. They are so grateful. They were saying goodbye to their partners, to their children, to their family, to their friends. But God reached down in his mercy and gave them life again. Would you not be thankful? That is what David is and that is what people. And so it's like that stage in the ebbs and flows of life, the absolute excitement, the gratitude, the everything. 
And as life goes on, we can still love God. And I'm not talking about walking away from God. I'm just talking about as we spend more time with them, as life comes in and different things happen. We sing to the Lord. We praise his holy name. We're so grateful, like in verse 5 it says, for his anger only lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts a nighttime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's one of the most kind of quoted psalms, isn't it? And you hold on to it. Because weeping does come. Hard times do come. Painful moments, heartbreaks, letdowns. They do happen. Sometimes if you come to a church or a Christian meeting and there's a gospel message, sometimes I've heard a lie being told when you're doing an altar call. If you just give your life to God, he will sort everything. You, you know, uh, a little bit of the process. You will have everything you ever wanted. All your dreams will be met. Everything, everything that you want, God will do for you. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not like slating people. I think it comes from a good place. But sometimes you expect that, that you will always have that high, that excitement, that exuberance that you feel when God first touches your life. And have you ever seen the, you know, the Wizard of Oz where they're skipping down the yellow brick road and you're like, oh, it's just me and Jesus. We're having a great time. Yay. Nothing's going to happen. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter if my car breaks down. Doesn't matter if I get evicted. Doesn't matter. We're all going to be fine. God's going to look after us. But that doesn't happen. And when we sell a gospel that says everything's going to be all right, that you're never going to experience difficulty. That is not what God talks about, and that's not actually what's in the Bible. What we are promised is that he will never leave us in those moments of difficulty. That he will, when we cry, he cries. When we are hurt, he is hurt. When someone breaks your heart, He sees you. You are not alone in those times. He sees you. And the ebbs and flows of life. Sometimes when you have come down off the high of the realization who God is and the happiness of the beginning, and when the hard times hit, it can can be very painful when the tough times come because you're not prepared for it. And it hurts. And that's when it's really important that we hold on to God's word. And we don't go on just what we feel, but we go on on what God has said. And when we read the Psalms and we read what David has said, or when we look in the New Testament or different bits, he has not promised us a pain-free life, but he has promised us that he is with us. And he will never give us more than we can handle. And the weeping may last for the night, but joy will come in the morning. There is always hope. There is always hope. If you feel hopeless, 
I completely understand where you're at. I have been there. But there is something greater than our emotions and our feelings, and it's our God in heaven. And when we feel like there is no hope, that's when we hold on with our fingertips on the edge to say, God has promised me there is hope, that I am not alone, that this will end, and I will have joy in the morning. Amen? If you've experienced that in your life, can you say amen? If you haven't experienced it yet and you're in the hopelessness, please be encouraged by the person beside you who said amen. The ebbs and flows, the highs, the first really deep low or the really deep lows. Then there's the other part of the Christian walk that um, I'm going to talk about. And sometimes we don't maybe speak openly about this in church. And um, it's not intentional. I just think, hands up if you just love being vulnerable. And you're like, oh, yeah, bring it to me. Yeah, no one. Everybody's avoiding eye contact. They're like, stop looking at me. You had a coffee with me, you know. Don't dare tell people what I said. Right? So vulnerability is terrifying. I'm going to talk about that later on. So we don't naturally, in our culture in the world, but also in church, lead with being vulnerable and what's actually going on. So since I came to know the Lord when I was um, 17, I've never walked away, okay? I've never said, God, that's it. Like, I've had highs, I've had lows, but I've never, like, stormed out the door, okay? And if you have stormed out the door, that's okay. The door will always be open, and you can always come back. Hear those words, okay? Okay? But for me, I never stormed out the door. Does that mean I was always like, me and God, BFFs, you know, doing everything right? No. Sometimes, even with my best intentions, I maybe inadvertently, without paying attention, kind of moved a little bit away from him. That's another stage sometimes of walking with God, and it's here in Sam. Um, 30, let me read the verse for you. It's verse 6, and it says, When I was prosperous, I said, Nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me so secure as a mountain. Then Then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. Sometimes we have a thing in us, and it goes back to, if you want to go back to the Garden of Eden, we have this will in us that we have to really battle. Well, I think, I feel, I want. And you may not have run fast track out of God, given him the fist and run away from him, but you took little steps of independence away from the Lord. You didn't, you didn't. Hi. Perfect. Praise the Lord. She's like, hallelujah, you're doing great. Don't mind them. Um, so you take steps away. And, but this is part of life. We, as individuals, have a thing in us. And that was with the first sin. Adam thought and Eve thought they knew better than God. The journey of walking with Christ is more of God and less of me. And it's constant. It's relentless. It's never-ending. You will never know it all. You will never have the full revelation of what God is doing here because then you would be God. When Job was moaning, 
about. He had some pretty tough stuff happen to him. He wasn't just a little moaner. He wasn't like, oh, I don't have enough money in my bank account. Like, his life was destroyed. I was kind of reading his story going, if anybody had a right to moan, it's Job. But God goes, who are you? Were you there when I founded the earth? Were you there when I spoke it into creation? Were you there? No, I am God. And it reminds us to be humble. That even in our walk with God, even if I'm not talking about running away from God, I'm talking about being in relationship with him, being, continuing your journey, but inadvertently making these decisions. Well, I know you said this, but I kind of want to do this. And we do have freedom. So God doesn't, you know, kick us out. But those steps, it's only a small thing. I'll just do my way this time. And I'll just do my way this time. And I'll just do this. Well, I thought, I felt, I believed. And it's not intentional. I'm not saying that you have this iron rod. Like sometimes you have that stubbornness. But I found in my life, God has woke me up one day and I've realized he had to correct me about some things. That I had somehow moved a bit left to center. You know? I didn't necessarily meant to. And these are the little things. These are the little sins in our life that come in. The, the pride that we bury down. That I'm a little bit better than that person who sits inside me. Like I never utter those words, but you know your heart. Or I just can't forgive that person and I'll deal with it later. But I'll continue on. And those little things that we bury and we continue on. And you can still be um, a leader and have those things in your life. You can still be a committed member to a church and still have those things. Whatever, you can still be a worship leader. You can still be a kid's church. All those things that we think, oh, those people have their lives together. True. We don't. Okay? We're all just trying to get by like everybody else. When you read stories of them, um, I love reading about, you know, the Christian forefathers and I love hearing about the miracles and the major things. You know, like John Wesley, I love hearing about how he, he started the Methodist movement, like the amazing things. But what I really get encouraged by is when I read their stories about who they were as people, not just what they did, and the battles they overcame, and the mistakes they made. You know, they may have been amazing preachers and teachers, but some of them weren't um, amazing husbands. Uh, some of them made mistakes with their children. Some of them had broken families. Um, some of them had battled illnesses and stuff. Things that make these forefathers of our, of our faith, but make them human, that I can relate to. Um, that verse 6 where it says, when I was prosperous, when everything was going absolutely wonderful, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. But then, you see what happened to David. Then you, God, turned away from me and I was shattered. 
the thing that David did when he realized that he'd moved a bit left to center, that God's favor was no longer with him, he immediately said, I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged you for mercy, saying, this is the bit I can kind of write. Do you ever bargain with God? If you do this, if, I, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. It's a bit like he's bargaining there. It's like, um, how will you gain if I die? If I sink to the grave, can my dust praise you? It's a bit like, you know, if you let me die, how am I ever going to praise you? Come on, sort me out here, God. The amazing things in the, in the dark of night when you're desperate, the things you say to God. Oh God, I will do anything. Like, I remember, I used to think it worked like this. Now it doesn't, but I'd be like, God, if you just... Um, if you just sort out college for me, like I'll go to Africa and be a missionary for you. I just, I'll do what, I'll do it. Just like make sure I get an A and don't let me fail my degree, please. Um, the bargaining you make. And I think we come from a society where nothing's for free. So we have this built into us. If you do, we try and inadvertently kind of bargain with God. If you do this for me, If you save me, I'll do this for you. But salvation is something that is unlike anything in this world. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. It's all about God. It's less of me and more of him. It's less of what I can do or how good I can be or the amazing things I can do for him and it's all about his grace and his mercy and his compassion on me. Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. You have turned my mourning into joyful singing and you have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. That really speaks to me. I came from... um, my dad is absolutely amazing, but he's still absolutely heartbroken about my mum passing away. And there is still like a cloud of mourning in our house, even 20 plus years later. And I had that over me without ever realizing. And if you've ever lost someone in your life, mourning and death and grief can hang over you decades after that person has passed. And the only way that that can be moved on is if you process it. And I am so grateful that when I came to know the Lord, he healed me of something I didn't even know I had. That's not, he didn't zap me. Suddenly I don't miss my mom anymore. It's amazing. It's not like an info commercial. He gave me the tools emotionally and intellectually to learn how to grieve and to mourn, to move out from out of the cloud that I had lived under, under that covering of my home, into his home, into his family, where there is joy and there is happiness and there is dancing and there is healing. And if you have that, he speaks about, you know, in early in the verse, like, the, the clothes of mourning in the Jewish culture, there was a set time. And, you know, 
I think maybe we could learn a bit like that, where you set aside time where you're not expected at work, you don't have to get back to normal life. There were these weeks where you put on the morning clothes and you grieved and the women wailed and it was crazy. And, you know, if you're not used to it, you'd be like, what is going on? But there was a time set aside for mourning. And we don't really have that in our culture. It's very quick. If someone close to you passes away, week or two, then you're back to work, if you're lucky. And you're bang, bang, bang. You're back in. You still have to do everything at home. You do the cooking, the cleaning, and you go to work. You still have to meet all the expectations. Where is the space for you to heal? God says there is a season for everything in Ecclesiastes. He created us to live a life of seasons, of ebbs and flows for things when we deal with things, for when we heal, for when we celebrate. And if you have that cloud over you, there is a God who wants to heal you and help you. Not forget. You never forget those people. But he hasn't called you to be in a life of mourning. He's called you to come into a new season. You don't rush in. You make sure you get healed and you grieve and you mourn and then we move on. And something that I learned, if you don't deal with something, it doesn't, grief doesn't have to be about a person. It can be about a situation. You could be grieving a season of life you were in. You really liked it then and you don't like this season and you're still looking back to that. You will never walk in what God has for you. You will never be content and be free and be joyful again if you're grieving a past season. David ends with, that I might sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks forever. I want those verses when I come to the end of my life. Um, I want that to be on my lips. I don't want it to be, I really wish I was still back there. I really miss this person. I wish I hadn't done this. I wish, I wish. A lot of people on their deathbed have a lot of um, I wishes. I want to have... Noel had a saying, and I kind of say it a good few times because it really struck me three years ago, Noel, our senior pastor, and he said that, you know, it's really important to be aware of what season you're in in life to get out of it what God wants to teach you and then get into the next season of life. When I arrive at that final season, I want to make sure that I've really done what I need to and I've experienced and have, have allowed God to do in me what I need to have done. So when it happens, that I would sing to him and not be silent, my God, I will give you thanks forever. When we talk about the ebbs and flows of life, it can be very melancholic. And it's like, whatever ebb, whatever you're in, it's okay. Highs, lows, it's all okay. You know, sometimes when you listen to some podcasts or sermons, you can kind of sound a bit wishy-washy. Again, not trying to be disrespectful to people. But there's a verse in the Bible that says... If you seek God with all your heart, you will find him. And the heart of the matter is, God is about your heart. And you can read the Bible 
you can nod with every point I've said there about the psalm. You can um, agree with everything we're talking about. And you could be, I'm going to talk about some points that I call guardrails, that with the ebbs and flows of life, no matter what season you're in, if you kind of have these as your guardrails, you're giving God an opportunity to correct you and to bring you in. But it's about your heart. In religion, you follow A, B, C, and D. And then you're fine. The thing that is absolutely head-wrecking about Christianity sometimes is you can follow A, B, C, and D, and it's pointless because your heart's not in the right place. If you're in a great season, but your heart's not in the right place, what does it matter that you're praising God? If you're in a difficult season and your heart's not in the right place, he's not going to listen to you. If you're fully independent and your heart's not in the right place, he can't reach out and draw you back in. If you're so wrapped up in the pain, you don't want any help because you've become comfortable in that season. He can't help you. I'm going to talk about things that in my life that have helped me in those seasons. I call them the guardrails. In Islam, they have five pillars. You'd be happy. In mags, we only have three. Okay? So, we're going to look at three pillars that we don't compare and contrast. person beside you can be in a completely different season to you. That's why sermons are really like subjective because for some person, they'll be like, that totally spoke to me. And another person will be like, I have no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> That's all right. We're not the same. But there's these three principles that I have found and I believe the Bible teaches us to keep us as guardrails that we can always make a way for God to speak as correct us and bring us to where we need to be. And it's a little bit like a Sunday school lesson because we know these. But I really felt that we needed to be reminded this morning of the three things. Because we don't know it all. We can know it all. But do we know it all? No. So the first one we're going to look at is about praising God. I grew up going to Mass. And in, I don't know about your parish, but majority of parishes, there might be a choir or whatever, and a couple of the women might mumble in the songs. But I never seen a man sing out loud in church, ever, in my life. Then I came to like a church like ours, and I remember like standing beside this bloke, right, and just be like, he's belting it out. They're like, Jesus, we love you! And I'm like, men don't sing. They do. I was wrong. It was just a tradition I had been in. The Bible says everywhere. If I pulled out every verse that spoke about praising God and speaking out, okay? Let me just say something. Praising God is not a silent thing. It is very clear. It's about the power of speaking out. Psalm 34, 1-2 says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praise. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. God created the earth by speaking it into being. Okay, we're told that. 
We're told several times in scripture about the power of praising God. We're told several times about the power of our words. There's life and death in the tongue. You can crush someone or you can bring someone back to life with the power. And this has been what the church has taught for centuries. But science and psychology has eventually caught up with what God has said. I had to write it on my hand this morning because my tablet died. For every negative, six is to one is the ratio they found. For every negative, one negative word that is said, you need six positives just to cut even in your mind. We live in a world that's telling you a lot of negative. To just cut even, you need to have six positive. But we don't want to stay with six. So let's say seven, because we want you to be in a better place. Okay? So we're going to decide today we're going to have seven is to one. Okay? In a Harvard study, they said that they would... So this is a secular study. Um, it said that um, positive words don't have power to change reality, but they have power to change your perception. Um, but perception's everything. Now, we don't stop there. I believe science and psychology will catch up with God. We believe it can change reality. When you stand, listen to that verse when it was Psalm 34, 1-2. Um, he's saying, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praise. What time is it now? That says 5 to 1. I don't know if that's right, but we'll say 5 to 1. You've been up since about... I've been up since crack of dawn. But let's say some of you have been up since 8 or 9. Um, how much praise, how many positive things have you said versus negative things in those few hours you've been awake? God instructs us because he knows us. We have been created as beings who require words spoken over us. The way we're made up. The way we are made up, we need these things. So God knew this. So centuries ago, he told us to praise his name. Your faith will be constantly tested and doubted. But how do we, how do we react to that? We praise and we declare that our God is bigger, that our God is greater. I will constantly speak of his praise. And there's kind of like this little bit of a, a lie kind of in the church that says, or about your faith, well, like it's just, it's personal, it's private, I don't really like talking about it to do myself. There is nothing in the Bible that says it's supposed to be like that. It needs to be spoken out. It needs to be declared. Now, I don't mean shouting at someone at the bus stop, Jesus is amazing! Because you will be institutionalized, okay? But we're like in church, I don't really, you know, it doesn't really say, there's nowhere in the Bible where any of the saints or, or anybody says, I don't really like singing out. It's simple. You sing out. There's no if, ands, or anything. Oh, that's not my thing. Yeah, well, it's God's thing, so it's your thing, so do it. We change how we are. If your tradition has taught you that you don't really do this, all respect to your tradition, but we're resting on the Bible. And the Bible says, speak out God's praise. Declare his goodness for this purpose, that all who are helpless will take heart. Not just for you. Your heart needs it, your mind needs it, but the person beside you needs it. Look at the person beside you. <laughs> they need it. 
They need to hear you. I needed that person the first time I walked into a church. Although I was freaked out that he was singing really loud, it stayed with me. He is singing and declaring God's praise. God is real to him. I took heart. There's other verses we could go. Um, Psalm 104, 33. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God. Uh, I will praise my God to my last breath. Imagine. Imagine we could say that. I found this in my own life recently. We had to move house. I was very upset about it. I won't go in. But I found that I was, everybody's asking me how I was, and people were being really nice about it. But I was constantly finding myself, look, I'm miserable. I hate it. I'm not happy. Um, this is not what I wanted. This is not what we want. This is not the plan. You know, like I was very upset. And God spoke to me. And it wasn't that I was to deny how I was feeling. But I had to recenter myself and be like, look, it is what it is. But God is bigger, God is greater, and God is my provider. They were my three things I had to say over myself every day getting out of bed in this house that I hated, that I didn't want to be there, that I was miserable in. And God changed my mind and my heart and my behavior. He may not have changed where I was, but I changed. That wasn't anybody else that had to do it. I had to do it. I had to say it out. I had to declare it because I had declared negative things. I said, I am miserable. I had said, I do not want to be here. This is not what I wanted. This is not what God, you know, I was even just saying it was not what God wanted. Obviously it was because he had us here, but I had to change it and I had to counteract it. And I had to do seven is to one. Very negative thing I said, I needed to say seven positives to overcome that. Not about me, but declaring truths about who God was and who he is in my life. The other guardrail that God puts in our lives. We know this. This is a Sunday school lesson. It's reading the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Let's go back to Romans 10.17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Different people struggle with different things. Some people, you know, the actual speaking out and praising God is really difficult. The singing, that's not their thing. I, like, I understand, but do it. For me, I will find every excuse under the sun not to read my Bible. I might read a few devotions. I might listen to a podcast. I might have a few sermons. Like, I will do everything. Then actually pick up the Bible and read the words themselves. It's my battle. Some of you to be horrified. can't believe they gave her a mic. She doesn't even read the Bible. I did read the Bible for this, I promise you. An actual Bible. Not someone's interpretation, the actual Bible. Um, the Bible makes it clear. You need the Bible. It's not just a book. Not a, just a book of philosophy. It says as you read the words, it cleanses you. It corrects you. It teaches you. 
We're trying to teach Ben, my five-year-old. He thinks like miracles are like magic. And we're like, not quite. <laughs> um, not magic. Uh, but God, and you're just trying to find the language to explain this. The Bible isn't magic. Bam, it's fixed. But it's obedience. He tells us to read it. He knew we needed it. So he put it down for us. And there's many, many scriptures. We'd be here till kingdom come, like we'd be here all day, which I'm sure you'd be delighted about if I looked them all up. We need the word of God. Sometimes we get so distracted on, um, you know, if you read it on your phone and stuff. I believe there is a huge thing about reading the actual word of God. I have nothing against technology. I'm doing it on a tablet. I have got my devotions on my phone, all that. But there's something about taking out the word of God and reading it. And again, aloud. In Jewish culture, they used to read it aloud in the temple. In traditional churches, they read it aloud a lot more. They set a time apart for just it being read. Because there's power in the word. Our ears need to hear what the Bible says. Again, that lie, it's personal, it's private, I'll just do it myself. I, no, no I, won't, I, no, I couldn't possibly share. Do it. No, it's just private, it's how I feel. That's isolating you, keeping you away from one the person beside you hearing it and needing it. Two, sometimes we might interpret it a little bit wrong and someone might be able to help us and correct us. When you keep, you know, the biggest thing the devil does to us, because the devil is real, is isolates us. And he tells us, you know, we can do it on our own. You can, you can read the Bible yourself on your own. You don't need, that was... Part of the Reformation, which is also a wonderful thing, but also had some size, bad sides to it. You cannot be a Catholic on your own. You have to be in community. That leads me on to our next point. You cannot do it on your own. The Bible, the praising, and the meeting together is our next point. You don't have to be part of this community, but you have to be part of a community. It's in the Bible. It's God says it over and over again. Praise his name, read his word, and do not stop meeting together. That's not a way. For years, uh, the institutionalized church has been used to, like, uh, what's the word? Control people. Not about control. That Harvard study about a um, pair of words, had a big background study on it about we are made, humans, they have found, psychologically, to live in community with people. The worst thing that can happen to someone's mental health is for them to be isolated, to be alone. And you can be alone in this building. So it's not just about coming to a meeting. Well, I go to church every Sunday. I'm not, I'm, I'm in the church. God looks at your heart. To be part of a community, to be part of believers, there is an ounce of vulnerability. And God knows how, we cre how we're made up because he made us. He knows that we need it. He knows that you are very intelligent, are very academic. You, can, you could you know, get things on your own, but you're missing something, connection, when you're in community with people. And that's not just coming to a meeting. That's being in relationship, a friendship. And that is terrifying. Because then people will see that you don't have all your stuff together. 
that you're a mess. And there's huge studies. There's sociologists putting out books and papers. They're on TED Talks talking about the power of vulnerability and shame and how it's the root of what's wrong with society today. These are secular people. But they're catching on to what God has said for centuries. There's a sociologist and her name is Brené Brown. And she does some TED Talks and she has some really good books that I really encourage you to, to read. And she talks about the power in community. She speaks about vulnerability and shame and the epidemic of our age of how, particularly in America where she is, there's addiction to prescribed drugs, obesity, drugs, so um, like suicide, all this. And she believes, and she has studied people, those who are content and healthy and those who are not. And the ones who are thriving and the ones who are struggling. And she wanted to find out what it was. The ones who are thriving have healthy relationships are in community. And the why they're able to enter into those things is because they do not have a fear of vulnerability. We are wired and we are made to have connections with other people. It's how we are. God knew this. That's why he wrote in the scripture to say, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do, to encourage one another, especially now that the day of um, return is drawing near. Acts 2.42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing meals and to prayer. There is a whole other sermon on that whole vulnerability and community thing. But praising God, reading his word, and being committed to finding a relationship with other believers in a church where you're willing to get vulnerable with people. Like, I don't mean telling everybody your business, but I mean picking a few people and be like, do you know what? I can't grow in my relationship with God if I constantly have a wall up. I need to invite people in. I need to move past that fear. Because in the ebbs and flows of life, we need these guardrails so that God can 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 hold us and that we don't go too far. Maybe we're going to finish up now. And I'm going to have a few minutes. I'm going to play um, an instrumental song. So there's no words to it. So I know I've talked a lot about speaking out on words. But as a, I really felt that we should end in just thinking about what are those things that God is speaking to you this morning that you need to kind of come back in line with him? Put those guardrails back in. Find out what season you're in and what God wants to do with you. The guardrails of prayer, of praising his name, of reading his word, and being really part of a, of a church or community, not just in body, but in heart. So that if you're... Um, let's just let God do what he wants to do, actually. I had some points, but we're just going to. Right, so, so Ma's going to put on some music. It's an instrumental piece. So let's do that terrifying thing where you say to God, 
Lord speak to me.